Howdy, dream cowboys. Welcome back to the Westworld Podcast Season 1 Rewatch. Talking about what we still like and what doesn't really hit the mark anymore. I'm James. And I'm Ryan. And this is the Westworld Podcast. So I would be remiss if I didn't extend a happy birthday to Ryan, whose birthday was last week. Oh my gosh, James. Thank you very much. Uh, I don't know if we need to tell the people how old I am. Although I, I, I do, I wonder what the average age range is of the people who listen to this podcast. That's a statistic that the internet doesn't give us, but I, I, I bet they're, I, I'll, I, I'll come out and say it. I just turned the big 3-0, 30. Um, at my birthday party, everyone was asking me how it felt, and I responded with, 30 is the new dead. So, Yeah, we're old men. It's not. I, I, I'm, I'm saying, I said that first part because I'm like, if I say I'm an old man and I'm 30, is like half the listeners going to be like, dude, shut up. I bet you know, I, <laughs> I, I can't grow a beard. I still get carded at bars and stuff. So I, I don't ever really feel that old. I can grow a beard. Yeah, I have that ability. I have that ability. Grow a mighty beard. But it, it doesn't make me better than you, James. I'll tell you that right now. So episode four entitled Dissonance something? It's called Dissonance Theory. And That's I, it. I, I learned a few things this week, uh, James, and that are pretty interesting. Number one is that Ben Barnes put up an Instagram picture of him... And the only caption was the emoji cowboy hat guy. And the picture was that of the desert and him in cowboy boots, which seems to reveal that he is shooting Westworld season two, which seems to reveal that we will continue with the William and Logan storyline thoughts. Maybe I'm lacking in imagination, but I just, I feel like that storyline is wrapped up. What do they have left to show us? I, think I guess we can see to show us because there's. Logan basically in this episode dissonance theory is the time where he gives the expedition like our family has a stake in this company I want it to be bigger and then William's like I thought we were here for vacation and then Logan gives like the stupid line of like if my family everything's business and then and, and then you know eventually later down the line Logan's not there the man in black is slash William so I think we can see I think we'll see the corporate takeover in real time over the next three or four seasons if they're going to keep, you know, if if, if they're going to keep this whole thing, this whole storyline, then we're going to uh, actually see how it all happened. But at the same time, Dissonance Theory, this episode, I think is a really good example of how some of these transitions can be complete whiplash. And we now know, kind of, what's in the past and what's in the future, and still... From scene to scene, sometimes your your head can just go, "What is happening?" So, do you want to see Logan post naked horse ride, or do you want to see him maybe his trips before he came with William? Oh, I want to see both. I want to see what happened to him that got him back. I I don't want it to be one line of dialogue. You know what I mean? I, you sent me on that horse ride, and I was out there for X amount of days. Like I I don't need I I don't want that. I want like a horse adventure. I don't think we're gonna get it. And then I think we'll see him when we come back, just because based on the Instagram video slash photo, he's wearing boots and he's not naked. 
So, <laughs> uh, assumably, at some point, he will just be, like, in the park again. Which is actually what's most interesting to me about it. Because most of their lives is spent outside the park. Why is he still inside the park? Episode 4 opens up with a conversation between Dolores and Bernardold. We're not sure which one, Bernard or Arnold. So, I I think... I think this one is Arnold, but, and I think every time he wears black, that means he's Arnold, uh, but it is confusing. They talk about grief and changes, and Dolores wakes up, and she's back with Jimmy and Logan, and she says thank you seemingly to no one, so I was wondering, is this a flashback, or maybe it took place in her mind palace in the Matrix where Arnold resides? Right. During this conversation is the one where she says, Bernard goes, or well, Arnold goes, you know, I can I can wipe your memory clean of your parents dying. Because she's describing her parents dying, something that's happened to her, you know, an immense amount of times. And then she says, you know, no, uh, I want the pain. The pain is all I have left of them. Which is something that Bernard would soon feel about a, a trait that Bernard takes on about his lost son that Ford writes for him. And something interesting to say to Arnold, you know, before he gets shot by the lady sitting across from him because he asked her to. But at the same time, like this, this scene is just it's tough to take because you don't know. I don't know whose side I'm on at this point. You know, we jump back to the Maeve storyline. She's talking to Clementine. She's having flashbacks. She's remembering a time when some black hat shot up the bar and she got fixed by the text and you can hear the text talking. One's like, hey, just get her back on the floor. There's going to be guests soon. Oh, she still has a bullet in her. I don't give a fuck. Put her out there. Right. Negligence. Although in this moment, negligence was the worst decision you could make because you were doing it to a hyper superhero robot that you didn't know was a hyper superhero and it would lead slowly but surely to your downfall. But anywho... Uh, Dolores saying she wants to be free, which is something a robot shouldn't be saying unless, you know, they want it to be. At the same time, when Dolores wakes up with William and Logan, did she have a gun for like a moment? Or is that just like a gun she has? Do you see the gun? She probably still has the gun that she used to kill the bandits. Yeah, she looks at it real fast. Like, she looks at the gun like, oh yeah, I have this gun. And then, uh, we uh we go back to like you were saying Maeve at the saloon uh a forest by the cure is playing on the player piano Clementine Pennyfeather best name says penny for your thoughts and i thought you know best name best line penny feather for your thoughts exactly right. <laughs> and she and you know i no i'll take it 100% and Maeve is just like i will tell you immediately uh there is something on the tip of my tongue and i just can't place it and then clementine penny feather best name is like everything that goes on my tongue i want to forget and i was like oh she's talking about dicks she sketches out from her violent flashback she sketches out like the figure of the tex in like the spaceman suit and she goes to hide it in her floorboards and she finds a whole stack of spaceman drawings so it's happened before. Oh, yeah. And I think some time has passed since she got the Violent Delights speech from Dolores. And maybe this has been happening day on and day on. Yeah, this has been going on a long, long time as Maeve finds out in that moment. And Tandy Newton uh, reacts beautifully. 
You know what I'm actually realizing is that Maeve is much less annoying the second time around. Now that I know how it ends for her in the first season, even though it is a little confusing and that whole sentience deal with, you know, remember when Jonah Hill, uh, Jonah, not Jonah Hill, just uh, Jonah Nolan was like, no, 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 she's sentient. And the whole audience was like, okay. But now that I've seen it again, you know, it, it, it is clear that she is. And her whole storyline, I think, is just better overall the second time you watch it. Yeah, and since we have a history of HBO showrunners lying, just straight up lying about things, we don't necessarily have to believe every word he says. No, you're right. Exactly. So, uh, but in that moment, he sent, he sounded, um, he sounded like it was his child at the moment, and his they were his child was like being called a different name, and he was like, "No, no, no, it's Maeve." <laughs> In the lab somewhere, Teresa is talking to Elsie about the stray. Bernard comes in. I love this scene because Teresa plays this off brilliantly. She puts all the malfunctioning of her spy bot onto Bernard's department and gets them to feel bad about it. And then she's like, and you know what? We're going to take over this investigation so that I can completely bury all of the shit that I've done. Exactly. Back in the day when you didn't know that this was all Teresa's doing and that she was just trying to get information out uh, from or, you know, through this robot outside of the park. You're like, wow, she's just being mean. But actually, in this moment, she's doing a great job covering her tracks afterwards bernard walks in he's like very interesting and Teresa's like i'm taking it he's like okay fine whatever because you know robert ford doesn't really care also robert ford probably knows and then secondarily to that elsie and bernard walk out and elsie's like what is happening man it's like every time i'm trying to do something good you get in my way and she actually says, it's like everyone has an agenda except for me, which I think is the most like one of the most enlightening lines of the whole episode, because I, the moment she said that, I was like, you know, what's crazy. They all do have an agenda except for you. Right. And you and I kept joking about like, haha, Elsie has all these legitimate concerns and people keep dismissing them out of hand because they're not concerned. But actually, it's it's, you know, because he's a complicit in Dr. Robert Ford's plan. And because and Teresa... Yeah, and because Teresa is a spy and her own company. They they literally all have their own agendas. And Elsie is just standing there like, gosh, I am trying to help, but it is going very poorly. Also, right before that conversation ends, Bernie goes, that is not Orion. Orion has three stars, not four, or something like that, or the other way around. Um, and then, like, I was trying to in that moment, like, what significance does this constellation thing have again? I can't even remember. I think maybe the fourth star is perhaps the satellite Teresa's trying to transmit to. And I agree with you that I think the reason Bernard doesn't put up a fight is because Robert Ford already knows what's happening. He can control the hosts with his mind, seemingly. So I'm sure he knows what's going on in all of their heads. And the information that Teresa got out was also probably like handpicked by Robert Ford. It's like, no, you're not going to send that information. You'll send this one that I've planted. And I think the most interesting thing from that is that we actually don't know, and I don't think we will ever know, exactly how much information Robert Ford had this whole time, right? Like, we have no idea if he's just sitting there in the consciousness of all of these robots listening and learning, or if he has to, like, log into one that he thinks might know something and go through their history. We don't know exactly, like, 
how technologically advanced the mind-to-mind melds between the robots and Ford were, and I don't know if we will ever. Back with William and Logan, they're arguing about this boring-ass bounty quest that they're on. William wants to leave and bring Dolores home. Logan's like, fuck that, this is your idea, we're gonna see it through. And we get some more business exposition where he's like, I love the park, we should spend more money on it. Oh, I thought we were on vacation. Nah, this is a working vacation. Right, that lets everybody know that they're not from Delos, they're just from a other company that has a stake in the park that is smaller. Logan is saying that it should be bigger. William then goes, I thought this was a vacation, not business. Logan then gives the uh, the re- the reductionist line of, in my family, everything's business. And you're like, in that moment, I thought I was like, I'm like, I look forward to you being on a horse alone in the dark. So now we get to what I think is maybe, like, the least interesting plot line in this episode. The Man in Black plot line? Yeah, the Man in Black and Lars. Do you mean the least interesting plot line in the series? (laughs) No, in just episode four. Oh, because I I know. I know what you said. (laughs) They're looking for the maze. They come across Armstice, tits shots, because it's HBO. Nuts. Yeah. He gets surrounded by her bandits. He wants to join the team, so... Because she's the snake at the Blood Arroyo or whatever. Yeah, that that arbitrary uh, whole thing that, that Lawrence's young daughter says. And yeah, she's like, okay, well, let's go together because I'm badass and you're badass and badasses travel together. Yeah, she like respects him because he shoots two of her clan. Like, I, And I was like, God, that has to be written for her because I feel like if, if that really happened, she'd be like, hey, those are my friends. Well, the hosts are programmed to be accommodating, right? So it's like, oh, this guest really wants to join my quest lines, whatever. What do I care? Exactly. (laughs) Especially this guest who, uh, as Ashley Stubbs points out and helps throughout this episode, gets whatever he wants. Speaking of Stubbs, the absolute worst dialogue in the episode happens next. Stubb gets talked to by some other security officer about Dolores leaving her loop. They don't know if it's part of the plan or not. But anyway, that security officer's delivery is very stiff and bad. And the director should have cut that out and gotten a second bit actor to do that line. Wow, James. So harsh. You're, She's yeah. so bad that it really it took me out of the episode. She's like, one of the hosts has abandoned their loop. Uh, uh, should we send a host to get her and bring her back? The next episode should have just started with a five-minute scene of her as a robot to make up for how bad it was. And then uh, at the same time, this is uh, that woman is telling Ashley Stubbs that Dolores is out of her loop. We just came from a scene with the man in black, which was during the same storyline. But right before that, we were with Dolores with Logan and William. So the Dolores that Ashley Stubbs is being talked to about right now that is out of her loop is not the one with Logan and Dolores. It's just the one that's existing now, 30 years in the future, going on the same journey that she's always gone on. They get to the small Mexican town where Lars's family lived and Lars's daughter is there. Dolores talks to her. She seems to remember Dolores. She's like a meta host, right? She's not like plugged into any narrative. And so she can just talk all sorts of shit. She's probably an Easter egg prophet little daughter, right? Like she's something Ford wrote to be an entrance to this quest. And uh, and so she, yeah, she's not really just like there to be a robot. She's just kind of there to tell a prophecy eventually. 
Speaking of Easter eggs, the gaming lingo is out of control oh in this my episode. Gosh. I did not notice it the first time, really. But they say that constantly, constantly. They literally say Easter egg this episode. Logan does. Yeah, Logan is talking about Easter eggs and upgrades and and story missions and bounty quests. Yeah, you could tell in the writer's room they were like, let's just focus on it being a game. He literally kills an NPC and he's like, oh, I got an upgraded gun. It's like he's playing any FP, any first person shooter ever. Or yeah, Borderlands uh, is what pub, I was going to say. I, I was just thinking like, pub, you kill an enemy, get a gun, you switch your gun and you rinse and right. repeat. I was thinking players unknown battlegrounds or any battle royale game like H1Z1. You basically you get gun upgrades as you run around. But at the same time, not everybody, I think, knows what an NPC is, James. Let's take this time out of our out of our podcast to explain what an NPC is. It's a non-player character. I think that was worth the wait. <laughs> Did you not know what NPC stood for? I, of course, knew. Okay? <laughs> I am uh, adept and other words. Let's keep moving. <laughs> All right. Uh, the men in black and Lars are definitely still, like, with Armistice. And she's getting some info from some bros. And she's they're like waiting for the signal, and the signal is her killing the bros. Armistice is cool, everybody. Everyone has to know that. The, the That's Armistice, what I was gonna say. The point Arm- of the scene is that Armistice is badass. Everybody are, and it's a it's a staple scene in the Western genre. We talked about it on the Western Movie Club a bunch of times. There are a bunch of scenes, especially like in the beginning. Remember in Three Ten to Yuma, right in the beginning, Russell Crowe had a whole uh, "I'm cool" scene. Um, prior to this. A uh, uh, someone Ashley Stubbs, you know. So this is actually the part that was super confusing, because in the future Ashley Stubbs is like Dolores is off loop. Someone has to go get her, and then we go back to Dolores and William and Logan right before they're about to go uh, raid, or, or right before they're about to move on in their quest, and a worker from the park tries to bring her home, tries to bring her back to the ranch. So like. They're showing us how she's out of loop 30 years apart from each other, but it feels like it's all at the same time. And he grabs her arm and is like, we're going home. Your dad wants to see you. And in that moment, you can see in her eyes. She's like, my dad is dead, you idiot. Then he then he grabs her and then she grabs him with the look in her eye like she's a kangaroo about to kick her kick his knee out. And like and then William's like, hey, we're all together here. Shouldn't everything be fine? And then that guy leaves. But the look in her eyes in that moment was kind of like the first moment of true anger. You remember the first episode where she keeps waking up and then by the end of it, her eyes look like she's going to stab you? That's exactly yeah, I think what that's, she looks like. Is that her Wyatt face, maybe? It is her Wyatt face. Although, And also, they bring up Wyatt like two times in this episode. My favorite time. Uh, and I'm jumping ahead, but they like say Wyatt to Armistice, and she's like, "That's everybody." She's a cool character. She hears this other person's name that she's like, "Ooh, that's not good." That's how you know that other character is cool, right? Like in Cowboys and Aliens, when Harrison Ford's badass character is like, "Oh my god, James Bond is here. He's such a badass." I'm and not. Gonna, I'm a badass, and I'm saying that. I'm not going to respond to that. What I want everyone to do eventually is just go listen to our Cowboys and Aliens podcast because I, I could go on for an hour and a half about how that movie is god awful. 
William and Dolores are hanging out at bedtime. They're talking about their dreams. William uh, doesn't really know how to talk to a robot, so he keeps dropping all these, like, robot microaggressions. He's like, I don't know how it works for you, but, like, when you're a real person, oh my you God, know, you have all these responsibilities. The robots. The robots. Like right. everybody is telling that was remember that when we were watching the first season we were like God they keep they just keep telling them they're robots to their face guys like you're asking for genocide. Also at this point Dolores tells a story about a lost steer who gets who goes off and off and her father's always like it will come back because obviously it will it's a robot and um the steer comes back and then Dolores goes I didn't know we were having them come back to slaughter and I was like God that is pretty on the nose. Meanwhile, but 30 years later, the man in black <laughs> and his bandits are also having fun at a nighttime campfire. You're really correct. Yeah, that could have been a transition in a superhero animated short. <laughs> Meanwhile, 30 years later. <laughs> Two other newcomers come try to talk to the man in black and they're not in character and they're not badasses and the man in black just gets really angry at them. If you say one more word, I will cut your throat. This is my fucking vacation. And that goes right from William giving Dolores his coat and being really nice to her and being like, hey, I'll do anything to help you. And then you go right here to the man in black saying the F word to some strangers. Uh, strangers who just recently told him that their their sister or one of their sister was saved by his foundation. So... In that moment, you're like, this guy owns something that saves lives, and at the same time is this dude. What has happened in 30 years? The next day, Men in Black are Lawrence. Uh, they've got some big plan to break out Hector, so they turn themselves over to the police. They get taken to desert jail, and apparently we get some exposition. Lawrence is the most wanted man in the world. Elazo. And they're both locked away, and they find Hector. Lawrence gets taken away to get killed by firing squad. Men in Black and Hector get to have some conversation. Apparently, the Men in Black doesn't like Hector, because he thinks that his bad boy, pretty boy persona is cliche and shallow, which is very meta-meta. Cool, cool. He, he calls it market-tested, and now thinking back on it, it's so true, right? Hector is like the generic badass who obviously would test well because the women would love him and the men would want to be him. And he's in the prison looking all cool. And it just feels a little bit too made up for the man in black, who's kind of like on a whole other level right now because he just got done saying, you know, Arnold made a game where you can't die and I want to find out how to die, lol. And then Lawrence is like, I'm going to kill you one day. And the man in black is literally like, God, I hope so. That would just be the best. The man in black takes out his James Bond exploding cigar, and it's actually a stick of dynamite, and they get out of jail. But Ashley Stubbs has to say that it's okay in the headquarters. They're like, are two explosive charges fine? And Ashley Stubbs is like, yep, that guest gets anything. And then Hector's like, they will be here for me soon. And he, and then Man in Black is literally like, yeah, they'll be here in three days. I know every storyline, and I know everyone how long they take. We don't have three days. Let's get it going. They rendezvous with Armistice. We find out her tragic backstory. Apparently Wyatt killed her whole family. And she's been hunting down the members of his gang. And every time she kills one, she uses the blood to paint a new section of her tattoo. And it's almost complete except for the head because she still hasn't killed Wyatt. Badass. 
badass, dude. I think my favorite line from that scene was when Armistice was explaining what happened to her family and what Wyatt did to her family. They, she said that uh, uh, her mother was gutted from her jaw to her sex. And I was like, Jesus, that is graphic. Would that work? Doesn't blood turn brown after a while? Would it stay red if you tattooed yourself with it? She must mix the blood with red ink. Wow. Wow. That's some, that's some blood semantics right there. <laughs> Back in Sweetwater, a bunch of hosts are watching as Native Americans walk through town. A little girl drops a toy that looks just like the techs in their spacesuits which causes Maeve to freak out and try to talk to them, and dudes are basically being racist. They're like, they won't talk to you, they're Native American. Right, because the same thing that is that toy was what Maeve has been drawing time and time again. Now, this part's interesting to me because it's from the Indian's religion, which begs the question, I think, are they trying to say that Indians, or in this in this Westworld slash in the real world are more vigilant or because everybody they're the only robots who have truly understanding that those things do exist in real life or like it, it, I, I don't know what the commentary is in, in that moment on actual Indians. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I also don't know what they're going for. I forget the name. of This is like a fake tribe that they made up for the park. I forget their name. I want to say the White Snake, but that's a band. Sure, um, sure. Here I go again on my own. <laughs> and yeah, they they think of the hazmat suit techs as like messengers from the spirit world or something. Listen, uh, they've who, been going down the only the... road they ever known, you know. And uh, and I've made up my mind. Uh, here I go again. Anywho, so like <laughs> they, I I don't know. Again, I just don't know what the commentary is because they know the thing that's like the biggest thing to know. But at the same time, they categorize it as God and not as just something that's real. So it's just it's a it's a weird one for me. It's weird. Um, In Bernard's apartment, Teresa and him are getting dressed after some sexy times. And they're talking about how she's stressed out because she has to confront Ford about his crazy new narrative. And Bernard basically gives her terrible advice. He's like, yeah, go in there, balls out, and really show him who's boss. Yeah, really setting her up for failure. Kind of like Dr. Robert Ford is saying it himself. We cut to Ford digging up the whole park. He's just, like, excavating a giant chunk of land. Teresa comes in, and at first she's, you know pretty chill with him they sit down at a nice restaurant and they're having a little wine and she breaks it really slowly but she eventually says like yeah you know you don't want to go too crazy with this new narrative we can probably leave things the way they are you know the board's concerned you're gonna mess up your legacy you know for when you leave soon for when you're out of here in no time Right, and Dr. Robert Ford is like, yeah, you guys don't care about my legacy. You'd just all like me to stop doing what I'm doing and, and, and leave. Now, this is my question to you, because this is my, I think, favorite scene from this episode. I think it's most people's favorite scene from this episode, because it's the one that stands out. It's the one that you're going to, at the end of the season, you'll think back and go, that vineyard scene was really, really cool. But my question to you is, 
does Ford know he's going to kill Teresa during this scene? Or is it this scene that convinces him to do so? Or is he not convinced to do so yet? And this is just the beginning. I think he's still giving her a chance because there's a funny line in there where he says, you know, we've had a lot of you over the years and always, almost always, we find a way to work it out. Yeah, yeah. He (laughs) has to put in the almost there. It's like, ooh, it didn't work out 100% of the time and it won't work out this time either. She thinks she plays her trump card here saying, well, the board's going to send a representative soon and you're going to have to answer to them. And Ford is like, well, oh, I already know that they're here. Oh, you don't know that they're here? Huh? It's weird that I know that and you don't. I thought they would have told you. Uh, What's her name? The board member? Charlotte Hale. And this just reinforces to me that Charlotte Hale is a host theory that like the representative for the board got to Westworld, was immediately killed. Right. And then Robert Ford brought in Charlotte Hale host. Not something outside of the realm of possibility, as we know what Ford does for the rest of the season. I mean, for all we know, when Teresa takes video calls with the board members and they tell her they're sending a representative, that's just Robert Ford in his Andy Serkis motion capture suit. Yeah, the same one that's being used when he is Bernard's wife. At the end of, uh, or near the end of this vineyard scene, it is found out that... Uh, Ford has disconcertingly sat her at the same table she was at as a child, literally in the same chair. She takes out a cigarette to be like, God, I am getting owned. And um, then he's like, you know, I've been here a very long time, so I will ask you very nicely. Uh, Don't get in my way, which I was like, that's not very nice at all. And then he says, I think his trump card, which is be careful with Bernard, the robot that I made. Yeah, I know that shit, too. We end up the men in black scenes for this episode with him and Lawrence coming on a, like, crucified Teddy who just asked them to mercy kill him. And the man in black's like, no, I think it'd be more fun to prolong your suffering. Why don't don't you come with me? Yeah, that's a a real bummer for Teddy there. But, I mean, as we all know, Teddy is the chopping block of the show. Just ready to die at any given moment. William and Logan get to the end of their bounty quest, and they have this big shootout, and William says something poignant to Dolores. He says, please wait behind, because you can't, you can die here, I can't be hurt. Jesus. Which makes me think, why is this exciting for William or Logan there's no stakes for them. If I guess if you're going to play White Hat in Westworld, you've just got to judge your performance on how many people can I save. I think that's Logan's point. Since I can't point. get a game over. Right. That's Logan's point. Like, there are barely any stakes here. I've been here three or four times. There are, like, no stakes here, and this is boring. And I also think that's the Man in Black's point, or William in the Future's point, that I've been here so many times that there are no stakes, which is why I'm at the end here and really, 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 really want to figure out how to die in this park. At the same time, uh, right, he says, stay here. I can not be hurt. You can't uh, You can't be. Um, or I can't be, and you can be. And I was, again, like, stop telling the robots they're robots. And then, at the same time, Logan breaks into this place. They start shooting it up. He has a great intro line, which is, slap leather, cocksuckers. <laughs> which is just like, what? 
in the end, I don't think they save any of the innocent bystander hosts, but they do catch the guy they're looking for. Yeah, they just shoot everybody except for that guy who who Logan hits in the face with the like the blunt side of his rifle. I mean, yeah, and then he, he takes that cannon. guy's gun. He's like, upgrade, bitches. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So on their way back to Sweetwater, the criminal they're transporting is like, I can get you paid more if you bring me to my boss, El Lazo, which piques Logan's interest. So he immediately kills the sheriff they're with. And he says to William, you know, come on, we did your thing. You know, we spent one day doing, you know, what the park is meant for. Now we're going to do my thing, which is go be depraved again. Right. It's like, I thought this was a really bad idea to the to do this quest, but it turns out your quest found us an Easter egg. So now we're going to get to go to Pariah, right? And have a great time. Yeah, we found an Easter egg. Now we're going to go on this fetch quest and level up and get a loot box. We'll hit a checkpoint, get some DLC, Mountain Dew, Volt. And then we'll forget to save, the power will go off, because it's a bad storm out there, and we'll have to play it all again. At the end of the episode, there's... Hector and his gang are attacking the town, and there's they actually have some newcomers with them doing this. If you the ask two me, guys. That's, like, that's the douchiest thing to do, is shoot up Sweetwater as a yeah. newcomer, because... You're, that's the, where the, the hosts can fight back the least. Well, they're the two guys who walked up to the man in black. So, I mean, I kind of still feel bad for them for being yelled at. Maeve puts a gun to Hector's head, takes him upstairs, interrogates him about the spacemen. Hector calls them shades and says that they go between worlds. Right. She knows that he knows something about it because Hector is, quote, the guy who lives with the savages, unquote. So she was just like, okay, he's close to them. He'll know. He immediately did. He said they're, again, he said they're shades. They walk in and out between, they're from hell, and they come to this world. And for every new thing that he tells her, she gives him one more number to the safe, something that uh, earlier in the episode, the man in black says, what you're looking for, you're not going to find in that safe. This is also the same episode where he looks at Lawrence and says, what if I'm here to set you free? <laughs> Stubbs orders that the guns belonging to the newcomers should jam so they can be taken in by the police hosts who also kill Armistice. Who, did you notice that their punishment is something that happens in the Westworld movie? Oh, that's right. Yeah. We're going to take him to jail and then someone will bring him a key. Yeah, that happens in the movie. References. I like it. Dank. So back upstairs, Maeve is asking Hector to cut open her abdomen and get at the bullet that's stuck in there. He doesn't want to do it because he's a nice guy. And Maeve's like, well, fuck it. Just watch me do it. She cuts herself open. She gets him to reach in, grabs the bullet. And she's like, look. This bullet proves we're all robots. And then they all get shot by the sheriffs. Right. That uh, I, he, She was like, cut me like I'm Rocky. Uh, we show They show our mistis getting shot a million times on the ground, which is a totes bummer. Uh, Maeve and Hector are like on the cusp of having sexual intercourse before he, uh, before she cuts or she has him 
or she cuts herself open and she's like this is the most amount i've ever had to beg a man to be inside me i was like ew gross and then um right he says what does it mean she says that i'm not crazy and that none of this matters they start making out while they get shot through the door which was a pretty good ending and something that is again solidifying to me the first time around i watched this season the mave storyline was the most annoying one second to uh, not second to, just first, and then the second to that was the Man in Black storyline. And the second time I'm watching it around, it has switched to Maeve being one of my favorite storylines and the Man in Black being uh, not a bad one, just like the least one interesting one to me. Yes, when you know the answer, the Man in Black storyline is a lot less interesting. And actually knowing where the Maeve storyline is going makes it a lot more fun to watch. Yeah, exactly. And... Uh, we get a shot of what's happening on next time. We see Dolores and friends and Pariah. We also see the Battle of the Titans look coming up, which is Ford v. the Man in Black, which, as I recall, I, I came out of that future scene in episode five with the thought of, okay, that'll do. Um, and uh, and I re- as I recall, Teddy is there. So yeah, again, this is like a middle of, of the season episode. It was a lot of exposition. There were just a lot of times where sentences were said for no other reason other than to move plot along. But that's where we and are. And a lot of, a lot of reinforcement, of too. A lot of, hey, remember, we're, we're rich guys and we're going to put money in the park. Hey, remember, Wyatt is a bad guy. Hey, remember, the man in black is here to to, to look for the maze and to save the the hosts. To be fair, I think we needed it the first time, and now that it's the second time, we really don't, But and so it feels redundant, but the first time I bet it was just like, right, God, I there's so much to remember. Hey, fun facts, uh, the, the same abandoned mall in LA that is used for like the downstairs of the Delos headquarters was just used in the new Taylor Swift music video. Isn't that fun? Wow, maybe she'll be a host next season. I actually wouldn't mind that. I'm coming around on her. I'm a huge fan. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, would be surprising. It's like, oh, I modeled this host to look just like 21st century pop idol Taylor Swift. <laughs> right. And then that would let us know actually when the show is set and if it's in the future or not and then they just bring out taylor swift's uh bones and you're like okay okay i see (laughs) the amount of halloween costumes this week that were dolores or william were intense because they're basically just western people costumes with like one or two specifics so they were really easy to do did you dress up for halloween this year ryan I did. I dressed up as Abraham Lincoln who made it. Basically, I just had a top hat on and an uh, eye patch. Okay, that's good. I was also a president, but a, a far more recent one. Oh, uh, can I guess? Yes. Barack Obama. <laughs> no. <laughs> I just wanted to make a joke where it sounded like that you blackfaced and then our audience was like, we hate James. No, I orange-faced. Oh. Bill Clinton. <laughs> You really did? Right. That, it, how, yeah. Wait, no, wait, I want to know. How how was dressing up? Like, I mean, where did you go? Were you out in public? Again, I was, if, I was if, in Shibuya, which is, 
the party district of Tokyo. And, yeah. Uh, if everybody doesn't know, James lives in, again, he lives in Japan. So did you see any other Donald Trumps, number one? And how are you, how are you, how, what, what were, did people think? You know, I had the, I, I, I bought a red baseball cap and whited out, you know, the MAGA letters. And I had bright orange face paint. And I was doing like, you know, the Trump kissy face all night. And uh, I was disappointed because more popular than me were just the dudes wearing rubber Trump masks, which was quite a popular costume in Japan. Right. And I was like, well, come on. You just bought that. I put You're in more wearing effort a suit. over here. I was wearing a suit. I had my tie like down to my knees. <laughs> I was ah. authentic. Wow. I, I like I like how you were basically like at a comic con and you were wearing a costume you had worked on for months and months and then somebody walks up with like a mask of that costume and someone asks them for a picture and you're like I'm leaving I think well I think that'll wrap it up for episode four join us next time for either episode five or Western movie club depending on our momentary whims. Yeah, guys, send us email at Westworld. What is it? <laughs> Westworldpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, tweet at us at Westworld Ryan. Let us know if you want to watch us a specific, or if you want us to watch a specific movie or uh, something for the Western Movie Club, or if you just want to hear us do episode uh, five, season one, with the next recap slash rewatch. Because I honestly think at some point we're going to learn the the date in which Westworld comes back. And we're going to be at like a crunch for time. We're like, oh my god, we got to start watching these episodes. Yeah, literally, you can tell us to watch anything. You want us to watch season three, episode five of Pretty Little Liars? Well, you got it. That was so specific. I hope someone does. I, ho- I hope we have to watch it with no context clues whatsoever. So catch us next time right here on the Westworld Podcast. I'm James. And I'm Ryan. And this is the Westworld Podcast. Uh, that's a bit more uh, up-tone up, up than you usually do that line. I know. I've had a lot of coffee. I got up today, <laughs> I got up today at 6.30 because I, I listened to the episode last time. And, what, and I had gotten up like five minutes beforehand and I had not had any coffee. A new year, time for new growth. Grow your education and skills with Herzing University. Our online behavioral health programs fit your schedule and time. From an eight-month diploma program in health and human services to a 36-month bachelor's in psychology. Grow your behavioral health career with us wherever you are in your education. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Visit us online at herzing.edu or text HEALTH to 85109. Online at herzing.edu or text HEALTH to 85109.